Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at... 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams right here live from Houston, Texas. And you can just see that the sun has gone down behind me at the Texas Medical Center. It looks pretty nice. We've had an overcast day and it kind of uh, rained on us this morning. But uh, this evening, just a nice, pretty calm night. But welcome to the program. We're going to have an excellent, excellent hour of uh, some great information. This is one of those that you're going to want to have your little notepad and piece of paper and uh, ink pen or pencil or something to journal to start writing down some thoughts and ideas. And the first probably thing we're going to do is give you a couple books that, you know, I, I read all the books of the guest, um, but I don't recommend all the books because I don't out of good conscience tonight. You want to get all the books. Um, this is just going to lay you out and the authenticity and the genuineness of the author is really going to open your eyes to what life is all about, what death is all about, and how to maybe better your world tomorrow. Uh, and that all begins with maybe your perspective of what you learned tonight. So welcome to the program, 888-627-6008 will be an awesome way. And the only way that you can actually just call in, uh, the wonderful people at BBS Radio Station will patch you in with a great radio voice and put you right into the guest tonight and you can have a comment or a question. Even if you have a thought that you're saying, hey, wait, what's your opinion on that? This man has so many years of experience in the professional world that we kind of have a um, a conglomerate of several wise people all wrapped up in one with the experience that he has. And you may just want to pick his brain wise on the program tonight. Uh, or you can get right on the Facebook page, Shattered by the Darkness. My son in Seattle, Washington, in the United States Army, is running that right now. And uh, if you have a comment, feel free to put it on there, and we will pass that through to you in a minute. Been one of those weeks this week here. Uh, been a busy week, one of those weeks that you want to pull your hair out and wish that you could just retire and uh, lean back and have uh, diet Mountain Dew for the rest of the week, uh, maybe for the rest of the year and just relax here in Texas. But uh, you have to keep on keeping on. I learned a couple things this week that I just want to share with you before we bring our guest in. Uh, one of those things that I just want to kind of remind you about that I needed to be reminded about is that I need to try to stop making everything perfect in my life because it's just not going to be perfect. And I think making mistakes is always better 
than faking perfection. Oh, that's a pretty good sentence. Making mistakes is always better than faking perfection. So when we make a mistake, uh, if we just stay down and wallow in it, um, that's when it becomes a deeper hole to climb out of. But if we get up and brush yourself off and get back into the world and say, hey, wait, what did I learn from this? Uh, what do I need to learn from this? How can I prevent that from happening again? That's a lot better than trying to say, hey, everything's fine and dandy and forget that it even happened. And we need to learn from that. We also need to, at least I learned this week, stop always following the path of least resistance. The things that are important that is our divine destiny, our divine purpose, our ultimate game plan of life that I personally believe has been determined for us already, isn't always the path of least resistance. It's sometimes going down a road that hasn't been down ever before. You're having to make the road. You're having to make that path. You're having to go through places that no one else has. And because of the experiences that each of us have had in life, we understand what some of those weeds and speed bumps and potholes mean and how to overcome that. That's the reason we go through what we go through and endure pain at times. And our guest tonight is going to have some awesome, and I can't wait, I'm going to get some free therapy tonight, some awesome wisdom on that. And that's just perfect. Another thing I learned this week is stop trying to pretend that everything is just fine and dandy when it isn't. You know, it's okay to say, hey, world, I'm hurting. Hey, world, I need a nap. Hey, I'm hungry. Instead of just letting everybody think that you are just absolutely, hey, I'm all right. Second, I think it's the second chapter in my second book uh, is entitled, here, go get it right here, so I don't get it wrong. Second chapter title, I'm fine and neither are you. That's exactly what we not need to do in life. We need to not pretend that everything's fine when we hurt. Hey, I hurt. Instead of going in and hiding away and hoping and praying that somebody will come and help me, but always say, hey, leave me alone, I'm fine. Sometimes we need to say, hey, you have a minute? I'd sure love to have somebody to talk to. Um, another thing I learned this week, stop blaming people, other people for your problems and for your troubles. 99.9% .9 of my problems are brought on by decisions that I made that was just absolutely wrong. But it's always so easy to blame somebody else. The extent of how I can achieve my dreams depends on the extent that I take full responsibility for my life. And that's important. I choose, I make the decisions and thus, I have to handle and deal with the consequences, good or bad. And the last one, stop trying to be everything to everybody. Sometimes that word no has to be in your vocabulary. And I think even at Baylor College of Medicine where I work, I think every now and then when they hand me a pack of files, I need to say, hey, wait, that's not my responsibility. That's not my job role. I have enough piles on my desk. Find somebody else to do that and um, and take control. Hopefully, these two or three tips uh, tonight are going to help you make a better week. 
I always try to throw those out. Uh, but I really don't want to linger any longer because I really want to bring on our guest tonight is Vincent Dodd. And he has uh, 30 plus years in the professional world, uh, I believe, and he may correct me here on this, um, is an emergency room nurse, has had years of experience on that, uh, was a police officer, uh, has years of experience on that. And because of all that professional experience, he's decided to write a book and then threw in another book uh, and probably could have broken these up into three or four different books with all the information that is crammed in those. And he has written two books that I'm going to highly recommend to you. And the author of Suffer Less in Life and Work and Suffer Less in Death and is the founder of Yandel. I don't know what the angle is. We're going to find out. John D. Sheehan and Dingle Foundation, also know as, known as the Human Bonding Foundation. It is my privilege to welcome another Texan uh, from the great city of Austin, Texas, to the program tonight, Vincent Dodd. Vincent, can you hear me tonight? I can, and thank hey. you. It is, it is an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I think I have come up with your name and a high recommendation from you from, um, let's see, I got my thing going here, uh, from um, another writer. I think she's going to be on the program next week, and I just went brain dead Kayla. on that. Who? Kayla. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kayla Murdoch, and she, she is a great author. She's going to be on the next week or following week. And she said, I have this man that you really ought to get to know. And uh, a great writer. And she sure recommended and pointed me in the right direction with you. I honestly uh, read the book twice. I looked through it twice. I read it once and then glanced through it again. And I have all kinds of notes and questions I want to ask you about. Unbelievable books. So tell me, why did you become an author? Why did you start writing? Is that your purpose in life right now, uh, to share all this wisdom that you've learned in your professional life? It is. It is. You know, after 30, 32, 34 years in the front line of public service, 21 in emergency work, and then uh, another 13 in law enforcement. And I did a very peculiar job in law enforcement. I didn't necessarily answer 911 calls all day long. Um, but still, I gained incredible experience. I was in a marked car in a uniform, and I, I did do a little bit of everything, but mainly I focused on one particular enforcement. Um, I wrote the first book because, uh, and I, I'll hold it up, Suffer Less in Death. Um, I wrote this book because in the emergency room and a couple of years of intensive care unit work, when it comes down to the last moment of life and we begin, you know, to do CPR, when it is, I'm, I'm, both of my books start with a warning because I'm very direct. Emergency room nurses don't necessarily have a lot of time to not be. So when it comes down to the last moment of life and we're doing CPR on someone that really, it is almost like sometimes we feel like we're arguing with God or nature or whatever your belief is. Because this human body, it's their time to exit. But we have no choice but to do CPR on this person. And there are numerous reasons for that, which is the you know why it's an entire book. But one of the things we often say to each other is, don't let that happen to me. You know, when I turn 70, I'm going to get do not, do not, you know, resuscitate, tattooed on my chest. So everybody knows, <laughs> let me go. 
So after hearing that for 21 years and teaching hospital emergency rooms, uh, one particular case came in that was, the, I, I thought about the book for all 21 years, but one particular case came in that I think Elizabeth Kubler-Ross would literally roll over in her grave if she knew that this had occurred. It was a patient on hospice that was on a tube feeding, IV fluids, and supplemental oxygen, a little nasocannula, which is actually capable of keeping people alive for days, just nasocannula oxygen alone. And I saw this and that was like the final. And I started to write the book immediately after that because the human wanted to leave. The human was ready to die. And for various reasons, that was not being allowed. So I wrote the first book. Uh, the second book came along shortly after I rewrote the second edition a couple of years ago when a handful of really good friends read it and said, Vincent, that was an amazing ride. I never thought I, there were so many angles to think about about death. You know, I didn't realize that um, it, I could actually laugh in a book about dying and death. And I do often say dying and death, not because I have dyslexia, but because isn't that the way it works? We die and then there's death. So I think someone who started calling it death and dying was looking out for me with my dyslexia. <laughs> I, I switched it back. So they said, that was an amazing ride, but you have spent 34 years in the front line of public service and you have had numerous reasons to become calloused and cold and, and to withdraw and to not like people and not like society but you have remained the opposite. And in this day and time, that's what we need you to write a book about. Wow. So, so your perspective on death must be completely different than other people's. Most, most people fear it, do everything to stay away from it. Uh, it's a horrific thought. Uh, absolutely never want to talk about it. Is any of those elements anything that you think is the right way to handle it? No. I don't no. either. No, I don't. Because then you become a victim of the healthcare system. And I oh, don't mean, I do not mean that negatively. And as you read the book, you're going to see that the medical field has no choice but to continue forward unless the proper paperwork and everything is in line. Um a huge percentage of lawsuits against the medical field are concerning do not resuscitate issues. You know, I, I remember my, my brother, uh, my middle brother uh, got hit by a car out in front of my house, crossing this, crossing the highway. And he's 30, 32, 35 years old. Uh, I was the first one on the scene. Uh, I followed the ambulance to the hospital, and since I was in that kind of work, uh, the mortician work back in those days, I knew all the hospital staff. So I was allowed to go right on back uh, into the emergency room. They already had him. Both of his legs were literally cut off at the knees. He was brain dead. The machine was already on him to keep him alive. And the doctor came in and in the emergency room and said, you know, Greg, there's no, there's nothing there. This machine's keeping him alive. I said, for the love of God, turn it off. And why, why are we doing this for? Uh, he would never be able to walk again. His brain is gone. What are we doing? And although it's the toughest thing I've ever done in my life, it's the best decision because I think, hey, wait, there's, there's, there's more to life than death. And I, I'm, I would love to hear that interpretation of when you're doing that CPR on somebody or having to be forced to 
do things. It's almost wrong to keep a body alive. Is it not hard to not bite your lip and go, hey, wait, what are we doing? Yes, <laughs> I would say that at that moment, it can be difficult. The very first thing I want to say is um, you made an incredibly unselfish choice. And you, what you actually put into action at the moment about your brother, uh, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that incredible trauma, whether, you know, whether we're experienced or not, to walk into a room and to see your brother in that situation, that's a shock. I don't care if you're a trauma surgeon, it's your brother. Um, but one of the things I started sharing with people very early on is when they had to make a decision uh, concerning someone they love, I always just say, make the decision for them, not for you. Oh. You know, they're they're the ones that will they're, they're being stuck every day. They're the ones that potentially are attempting to, to die. They are the ones whose tendons and ligaments are loosening because, you know, families often say do everything. And the physicians write the orders. The family goes home. The doctor goes home and it's the nurse left to carry out those orders. So we as nurses are the ones rolling the patients. We are the ones that see them grimace. We are the ones that see the bed sores developing. Um, we are the ones that see the consequences of people's decisions. But I, what I immediately want to share behind that, because I don't ever want anyone to second guess their decisions. Everyone gets to make their own decisions. Is I have seen so many last moments of death, including some that were major trauma and still awake. There is something about our body that protects itself at the end. Whatever occurred, it's okay. If, if procedures were done because the family said, let's do them, it's okay. If they said, let's let them go, that's okay too. That's why when I rewrote the book a few years ago, the two chapters that I added, one, I didn't realize how much guilt there was around death. Yeah. So I added a chapter about guilt because there's so much around, oh, if I'd gotten around the car faster, maybe my dad wouldn't have fallen. Well, I, I, it's really hard to, to fight gravity 24 hours a day. You know, you, we can't fight gravity 24 hours a day. We can't be there to catch everybody. Um, so we are, we are okay with those decisions. And uh, when I say we, we need to be okay inside of ourselves. If you look back at your past, everything's okay. But it doesn't mean that it's not important to be incredibly informed and to make informed decisions in the future. Do you, do you think a lot of our, because I think you hit the nail on the head, a lot of our opinions about death and not wanting to deal with it is because we are selfish. We want to keep them forever and not let it be a peaceful transition um, because it's not fair. I wouldn't want somebody I love to linger one day longer in pain if they're never going to get back to normalcy. Yeah, but I have, I have so much compassion for that feeling because death is forever. It's permanent. Yeah, wow. And if your heart explodes in love and appreciation for someone, you know that that is about to be ripped out. But whether you put somebody back on oxygen and they live for a few more days or not, inevitably they have to go through the decreasing oxygen level. As we die, our oxygen levels go down. And one of the reasons why I know that I don't have to fear it is because periodically families say, I'll teach them about it. It's like they're going through a deoxygenization and it's going to happen again. Uh, 
whether we put our, and they'll say, well, let's put oxygen back on them. They look restless. So I put, and a few times I've gotten to ask people that have put them back on oxygen. They come back around enough and they come back up. And I've been able to say, do you remember pulling at the sheets? Do you remember wringing your hands over and over again? Uh, do you remember pulling on the side rails? Not once. And I've, I've gotten to actually talk to maybe about eight or eight or 10 people, if I were going to guess, that put oxygen back. Not one of them remembered, which is what tells me our body, our being, our spirit is capable of protecting ourselves at the time of death. It's an amazing machine, isn't it? Yeah. It's incredible. Is this book or go ahead? It's incredible. Our bodies are incredibly tough and incredibly fragile. Wow. And you know, I don't, and I, I don't know uh, if you have faith or not, uh, and we won't need to debate on that, but I don't understand what I've seen in the world that I've seen with people uh, in death. I've uh, seen three boys being delivered from their mother in the labor room. And me go, there's not a divine power here on this earth, uh, because there is, uh, in my opinion. And I would think being that emergency room nurse, isn't it amazing that everything in the body is almost in the same location, everybody's body? Uh, mm -hmm. When you try to find a vein or an artery, it's always almost at the same spot on every. That amazes me how our bodies are so complex, yet. Amazing. It just it takes it, my breath away. It, it is. It, you know, when I began to study about the human body, my spirituality def definitely increased. Yeah. A, a sideline on that, something amazing is that if you were to take a dog and to, to hold it up by its front paws and let it fall, a lot of its organs are falling into the exact same place also. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Is this book the one that uh, Suffer Less Than Death? Is that um, a book that you recommend people buy and give as a gift to someone that is enduring uh, that transition or getting ready to experience it or have already experienced it or for all three? You know, a really special person in my life, I was having a discussion with her a couple, a couple of months back. Uh, about the fact that people say, oh, I wish, I, you know, because they they know me or they've got it. And they say, oh, I wish I'd read your book sooner. I wish I'd read my book before my husband died 10 years ago. Um, and she came up with the neat little catchphrase, read it before you need it. Oh. Because it is hard to hand that book to someone who is diagnosed with cancer. It is hard to hand that book to someone and say, here, re read about death. It, Although we are as a society, we don't want to look at death. You know, we don't we don't want to think about it. Um, to empower yourself is incredibly important and to do it beforehand is the key and to, to pick people to be your medical power of attorney that are going to respect your wishes at a difficult time. Um, and as I said, are capable of making uh, decisions for you, not for themselves at, the, at that moment. We'll leave their beliefs out of it, but we'll right. respect yours. Do you think we're handicapping ourselves by avoiding the subject altogether? Well, the, the, um, there is no question about it, and I'll, I'll tell you why. There's one very large one, but also another thing about recommending that book is people have told me the two. One of the things that people have told me is that I named it correctly. That by the end of it, they were not suffering as much with the concept of dying and death. Um, and I think that's important. The other thing is is that it's very empowering to help you manage your healthcare in general, just in general. But to answer your question. There are various studies 
uh, that run run it around seventy percent. That and it's a shocking number that it answers your question. That seventy percent of all healthcare dollars are spent on the last six months of life. Wow. Can you imagine how much breast cancer? Can you imagine how much treatment that we could give? Can you imagine how we know so much about medicine? Our issue is getting it to people timely and getting it to to more people. Um, so 70% of all healthcare dollars spent on the last six months of life is significant. And a significant amount of that is spent on the last three to five days. So we don't necessarily, if you think of that number, do we have a healthcare crisis or do we have a crisis in accepting imminent and inevitable death? This book was not written. Uh, it's not a Kevorkian book. It is not uh, to say don't do CPR in a 19-year-old and, and you know, having a, a healthcare issue. Um, it's the, the 65-year-old having their first heart attack. Yes, let's treat them. Let's get them back. You know, let's let's take care of it. It's about not accepting imminent and inevitable death. So yes, we are somewhat creating our healthcare crisis by not accepting death when it's imminent and inevitable. Wow. Hold that book up one more time, Vince, if you will. Mine's on Kindle, so I can't do that. But I want everybody to consider uh, buying that book right now. And you can get on Amazon and get it in all kinds of different versions of it. You can have this in audio, too, do you not, Vincent? Yes, it's out. Is it your voice? No, but I'm being encouraged to reread it since I have fine-tuned it. Um, and uh, But actually, I'm being encouraged to read both books. But I have a, an, an excellent narrator for both of them. The same gentleman narrates both books, and yeah, he's fantastic. Before we go to our break, and I, I'm glad this first segment was on that that book there. Uh, what wisdom? What did you hear from other people after you had these two books out in the open marketplace, and they were buying it? And of course, I think you're probably as accessible as I am. It says, "Hey, contact me here," and you probably read every response. Um, what? did you experience from uh, the marketplace out there from people that read your books? Well, when I first uh, published the first edition of Suffer Less in, in Death in 07, which I actually consider now somewhat more of its cliff notes, because by waiting 13 years to rewrite the second edition, I got a lot of great experience. But a lot of doctors and nurses asked me over the years to include a chapter about how I speak, include a chapter about how I speak so openly about dying and death. Because we at the healthcare field are very comfortable with, with dying and death. But when we have to turn to a patient, we have to turn to a family member and discuss it. That's where it gets tough. So I included a chapter um, talking about talking about death. And I went into the pathology of not just what I say, but what I do inside of myself so that I can bring my voice up, so that I can remain clear, so that I don't use euphemisms. Um, like one of my tricks is to say, to put it out there, I'm about to talk to you very openly and honestly about the situation with your father. And by me saying that, it helps me be more comfortable and it prepares them. But that particular chapter, the other interesting thing about that chapter is I'm amazed how many people have told me, unrelated to the healthcare field, how much that chapter helped them increase their professionalism. The ability to to look at how we do our job, how can we do our job better? Um, how can we improve? How can we find courage to, to do our job different or better? Because let's face it, we like to get a, we like to get set and then we like to stick with it because that's our that's comfort. Um, so that was one uh, concerning the second book your question was. 
Yeah. What what kind of response have you got from that after you published it? The, well, you actually said one of the exact same things that I was really surprised about Suffer Less in Life and Work. You said you've started it a second time. The number of people who have told me they have started it a second time with a highlighter uh, has overwhelmed me. It, it has really been surprising. Um, it's an honor uh, that I hit it because I didn't write these books for me. Um, you know, I, I haven't done a lot in my life that was necessarily choosing a career for me. Um, going into law enforcement was more or less to study it because I knew they were getting into trouble. Emergency room nurses work very closely with law enforcement. I'd ridden out with New Orleans Police Department a few times, um, and I, I wanted to contribute. I wanted to study it from the inside out. Uh, so you 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 study, said stated one of them. Uh, the other one is also the same thing. They said you titled it correctly. Um, if I'm applying it. I definitely am having an easier life and an easier day and an easier moment with like a difficult colleague um, or not responding to my partner the same way. Uh, you, oh, you summed up something else in the beginning. I felt like you were, the, the, your your uh, uh, entry statements uh, were summing up what both books are about. We're human beings and we're filled with fault and we're filled with failures at times. And we have gotten really away from that. Uh, we don't want to claim responsibility. We don't want to claim fault. We want to find a way to, to get around it. And that's an opportunity that's unfair to others, because if we don't claim that we've made a mistake, that means somebody else is going to might potentially end up with it. That's not fair. Uh, but the other is, is that by accepting being a faulted human being, it's so much easier than trying to be perfect. We're not perfect. And once you go, hey, I've made mistakes, I've made faults, you can drop your shoulders. It gets easier. Yeah. And, and improvement, because they, unless you can say, I made a mistake, you can't say, I can do better. And trust me, I never get this right. <laughs> I know you never get it right. You just get better. That's all. Yeah. You just get better at it. There you go. Tell you what, 888-627-6008. We're going to take our commercial break at the bottom of this hour, which we're already there, which I knew it would be. We, this is time just going to fly by. When we come back, Vince, I really want to talk to you about this next book, uh, Suffer Less in Life and Work. And uh, I have a whole bunch of drills that I want to drill down into, and hopefully we'll get to a few of them. Uh, and that'll be true on the other side of this commercial break. Hang with us. Get your notepad and your pen ready because you're going to hear some awesome, even more awesome information on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. From HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores 
Amazon, and Books a Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. And Lino, to be honest with you, I just heard that commercial. We play that every week. Don't go on and buy my book. Go on and buy Vincent's books tonight uh, because these are going to change your day tomorrow. Yeah, you probably, I've sold enough books. You probably read it or at least know about it and heard me talk about mine enough. But these stories, this wisdom that he has in, in these books are going to lay you out. And it's just, I love the way, Vincent, you write. Uh, it's like we are talking, um, and I immediately, when I opened up, uh, and the book that I read was the Suffer Lesson, Life and Work, uh, when I opened up and you said you love quotes, I'm a quote man. Uh, I love John Maxwell's books and, you know, all those that actually were Zig Ziglar's and in those olden days where it was just quote after quote after quote. I don't think John Maxwell has ever written any book that had his own words in it. It's all 95 percent of other people's words. And then he comments on them, which is great. Um, and the way you started this book out, Lily Tomlin, uh, with that one quote that I've always wanted to be somebody, but now I realize I should have been more specific. It reminded me of my one of my favorite quotes of all time that Lily said was, uh, the trouble with being in a rap race is even if you win, you're still a rat. And it's just like, oh, I just love uh, the quotes. So tell me, um, why are quotes like this that you use at the beginning of every chapter and throughout the book, uh, why does that make an impact on you? Well, because I, I, I know to accept the the wisdom and the experiences of others. Um, I know that if I am standing somewhere looking at a tree and someone is next to me standing there looking at a tree, even if we're just inches apart, we're going to see two different perspectives. And if I listen to theirs, I just saw more of the tree. And that's how I look at quotes. That's uh, that's good. And the reason you wrote the book, and, and you talk about this, I think, in the chapter one, that you suffer less in life and work, not at life and work. What's the difference with those two letter words uh, and the significance of being in or at? It's the same. It's the same with suffer less in death. Also, people say, why didn't you call it suffer less with death? Oh, because we are immersed in death and dying, we are immersed in life. We are immersed in work. It is it, it even when we sleep, we're still immersed in life. Uh, the heart's still beating. We're still breathing. We're still alive. That's life. Uh, so I I titled them because you know people, death is everywhere. Your, your own red blood cells are dying every 120 days. If you walk across the yard to go get your mail, you've killed some bugs. You know, we have potentially have cancer cells inside of us dividing that our immune system can't attack. So we are immersed in death. It's around us. And to feel it and to look at it that way uh, helps it be a little bit more comfortable. Instead of it being something over there that I don't want to look at, it becomes a part of our life. And if we become comfortable with that, actually life gets better. We're not yeah. wasting energy and fear on something that's inevitable, amazing and beautiful. But. How out of balance 
are we with life and work? Do we have it completely turned around? Uh, do we just have the focus on, I got to hurry up and get to the office? Because one thing, and you tell me if I'm wrong, and you would know because you've been there more than I have been. I've never heard anybody on their deathbed say, I wish I spent more time at the office and then they pass away. I don't think that's ever going to come out of anybody's mouth. Do we have the scale completely lopsided? And if we do, why? Well, you know, after, after reading my books, you know that my brain goes in about 10 different directions. <laughs> Let's go to all 10. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm actually going to ask you to slightly narrow that question. Down. Okay. Why is work seem to be our predominant focus in life instead of life and work only sustains us? That, that that I that I understand and go with. okay. <laughs> you know, you know, it's also one of the reasons why I started the nonprofit, and it's actually pronounced the Yandel, who was my grandfather, Yandel. John D. John D., who was an amazing man, uh, who really went into his old age with some incredible power and strength and great ideas. Um, Sheehan, uh, the, the the names are not named after people supporting the foundation, although that some have contributed. Um, they're named after people that help us become human and help us understand that we need each other. Sheehan uh, was a young man who killed himself in his early 30s. He does have some uh, mental illness, but he was also an amazing, amazing, giving, loving man. Um, and Daigle was an amazing influence on my life. Way ahead of, Daigle was way ahead of their time. Um, as far as discussing things such as gender gender issues, um, you know how we we treat people in society, how we can be better in marriage. Um, so I, they're, it's named after people who influenced me to create the nonprofit. And by the way, the nonprofit is about to be completely changed. I created it and opened it with a really wide scope, focused on the books. And kind of even opened the, um, the the website as a large feasibility study. The website is huge, and it's you know ridiculously huge. But it also was allowing me to get input from people, uh, to listen to it, to think about it. And with the increase, with the rapid increase in mass murders recently, it helped me decide where I want it to go and where we're going to take it. But basically, to sum it up, it is the Human Bonding Foundation, because we don't feel as if we need each other anymore. And I am answering your question slightly, because we were designed to work. You think about the, the, the years that we have been upright. When we first went to upright Homo sapien, and you think about all of those years there is one little tiny sliver of about 140, 150 years where things started to get easier for us. The electricity coming into the home. Shortly after that, the gas engine. And all of a sudden we had conveniences. Then we began to believe, then wealth came along to a huge, larger. We began to believe, I don't need anyone. 
And when we begin to believe that we don't need anyone, I am autonomous, I have, I have wealth, I don't need that person, I don't need this person, I don't need that group of people, I don't need that religion, I don't need that ethnicity, they're, they're not mine. We begin to tear apart us as human beings because all of that other time, all those other years, it took a team of human beings to remain alive and accomplish. And people periodically say to me, well, what about somebody who walks off into the woods and never sees another person again and lives the rest of their life? Well, where did they gain their knowledge to do it? Did they take any tools with them? We need each other. And because we've lost that, it's created a feeling of wander. It's created a feeling of I'm not needed. I'm not important. I'll... And I think that is what is leading in a very simplified but quick direction. I think that's what's leading to our anxiety, our depression, our addiction, our suicide attempts, or suicides, and mass murders. And I can sum this up very quickly in, do we really think that a total stranger is going to pick up a weapon or drive a car? We, we say guns, 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 and we do need to pay attention to guns. But you can drive a car into a group of people. You can walk into a subway and start stabbing people. Would that happen if that person had been loved, validated, supported, spoken to in a grocery store, slowed down uh, and allowed that person to merge in because they also finished a long day and they want to get home? It's I, I personally believe that what is occurring is that we are tearing ourselves and our society apart by thinking we don't need in each other. That's good. I think one of your your longest chapters in this book is about relationships. Um, that was life-changing to me. That was almost, uh, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but it was almost like scripture. <laughs> it was like, whoa, I like this. I like this. This is powerful. I underlined that. I highlighted that. And on Kindle, I love that because you add your own notes and everything, and it's just one big conglomerate of, of information. Powerful. Did you have to learn that from the mistakes you made? Um, or yes. from what you've seen in other people? No question, there's no question about it. That's a huge yes. Um, <laughs> I'm a walking mistake, attempting to do better. Um but I also learned it because I'm the youngest of six children. And as I, as I said, somewhere in the oh, book, okay. I probably heard my first argument while I was in the uterus. And I probably watched <laughs> my first argument holding a bottle in my hand with a full diaper and holding onto a chair and watching some of my family members argue. So, yeah, it's a lifelong uh, experience. And our relationships are, are everything. If we were to walk yeah. into the woods what would our stressors be besides staying alive? We're not going to have anyone accusing us of anything. We're not going to have anyone coming into our lane. We're not going to have anyone raising the price of food in the grocery store. Our relationships are what bring us either our peace and our joy, our, our misery and our suffering. But where we get the choice is how we choose to work with those relationships. And that is where we are empowered. And that's where free will and choice comes in. Don't ever give away your free will and choice. It's the most powerful go. thing you have. You know, I always, when I read, I always try to find a couple quotes that to me is the pivot point of the entire book. 
or or it is let me inside of your mind deeper than what you was hoping to let the world inside because it's like oh this this is important see if i hit one on this one you said attempting to resolve an issue only at the surface does not address the core origin of the problem that should be a quote that everybody has on their refrigerator, by their toilet paper roll in their bathroom, and on their desktop at the office. I want to know more. Attempting to resolve an issue only at the surface doesn't do anything about solving the problem. Tell me more. It really doesn't. And you would have to know that it greatly comes from my medical training. Uh, my 21 years were no. mostly in teaching hospitals. Uh, so especially my first three years at Charity Hospital in downtown New Orleans, uh, I worked with Tulane and LSU residents. I personally believe that nurses should also do a residency. They have a lot of choices to make when, when with those orders that they're given. They have a, a lot of need to be able to really detect problems in the human body when it's becoming off balance early on. The sooner you catch an imbalance in the human body, the easier it is to, to, to correct it. Um, so my starting and basically staying in teaching hospitals taught me to always find the origin of an issue. Uh, it's a little harder. It's difficult, more, a little more difficult to fix there. I mean, I'm not talking about the human body. I'm talking about in life. And, you know, as you said in the very beginning, the origin of our issues is usually ourself. We yeah. like to blame others. We like to find where can we take some of the pressure off of ourselves, And that's a defense mechanism. And our defense mechanisms are there for a great reason. What's important is to be aware of them, though. You don't want to overuse them. You don't get to meet yourself if you overuse your defense mechanisms. You don't really get to go inside yourself uh, because it's scary in there. And that's why we have defense mechanisms. Too much, too much Vincent all at once, I would freak out. So, <laughs> I, you know, we all, we all use them. Um, but going to the origin of the issue definitely is a little bit harder, but it solves the problem in the big picture and the long run. Um, I also think, I even hate to say the word, but as you know, several of my friends, since you read the book, said, well, if you're going to write a book about suffering less, you need to include a chapter about religion and a chapter about spiritual, about religion and a chapter about politics. And I said, no. No, I, I don't like to discuss those. I don't like to discuss those with friends, much less the general the public. Yeah. Several of my friends in different ways said, then you're leaving out two subjects that are causing us a lot of suffering. Wow. And uh, it took me a while to find the courage and to, to write some notes about how I wanted to do it that wasn't going to put my views into it. Uh, and when I did, that they were obvious, but I wanted to go to the core of our issues. What are the core issues with, the, with these subjects? And that's how I wrote the book is from the inside out. And I'd like to thank you for being the type of author that you are. I mean, you know, the first book that I kind of read that somebody opened themselves up was Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential when he admitted yeah. he'd become addicted to heroin. And then, you know, you talk about your, the child abuse in your, in your youth and you open yourself up. And that's courageous. Um, and it's what gave me the courage to open myself up so that we can look at the origin of human issues also throughout the book. We could 
solve it from the origin up. We got it solved. If we put Band-Aids on, the infection's still underneath. The problem's still underneath. The imbalance is still underneath. And uh, especially in our world of politics, we've really gotten away from looking at our core issues. Uh, we, we're looking at our passionate issues. What are our passionate issues? But we're not. We're no longer addressing our core issues. Yeah. Yeah. I hated to even bring that up because it's a scary subject. For me. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the spiritual and the politics chapters uh, were impactful. I'm glad they were in there. Uh, I also like where you broke up the sections or the chapters with these uh, wider angles. Uh, and there's a couple of them that I've really uh, jumped on and wrote down about. One of them, which I, I'm amazed, cows possess the answer <laughs> to all of life's problems. Help me, Vincent. No, remember Help me. I no, love remember. that. It, I literally belly laughed, and I thought, wait, this isn't just a joke. This is a fact. <laughs> Express that because that it's worth the, the the price of the book to read that one wider angle. Let's talk <laughs> about that for a second. Well, you remember the wider angle is actually between the difference between strong and tough. Yeah. But I used that particular one because it was definitely the very first wider angle that I ever created. You know, I was in, <laughs> I was in college. I'd driven my motorcycle over to my grandparents' place in East Texas, and I used to love to go walk out in their in their pasture. And one day I sat down and in, in amongst the cattle and two of the calves actually came over to me and smelled, touched, touched their noses to me. It took about 20 minutes, but they eventually came over and actually touched me. Uh, and that's where I came up with the uh, ludicrous, but as you said, potentially a true wider angle that cows are highly self-actualized. And they possess the answer to all world problems, but they just can't tell us. <laughs> That's great. Hey, I tell you what, our good friend Kayla is just called in. So go ahead, uh, BBS. She has a question for you or a comment, Vincent. Kayla, welcome to the program tonight. Go ahead, TJ, patch her on through if you could. He says one sec. Give me just a second. Have you known Kayla for very long, Vincent? Uh, since the middle of last summer. Yeah, I met her at a, a training several years ago, her and her husband. And I consider them good friends, although I've only met them a time or two at conventions. But they are awesome individuals. Uh, TJ, when uh, she comes on and able, just go ahead and patch her through, okay? Kayla always has access us at any given time. So when you can get her on the phone where we can all hear, uh, put her right on through uh, in the final couple minutes. Um, okay. You. Yeah, Kayla, can you hear me? I can. Yes, I can. Yeah. Vincent's waiting on the oh. edge of his seat to hear a comment from you. Yay. Well, I just appreciate you taking my call. And this has been such enlightening and wonderful information. Um, really exposing, like you said, you know, thoughts that we hadn't thought before um but i do have my question is is that as an individual what one thing do you think is the most important action for us to take 
because we, we've talked about so much and they're so in things. But if you were going to have a call to action, what is one thing do you think that we should do? Okay, Vincent? Embrace being mm. a human being. You are, you are a human being. There aren't any cattle listening to this. We are human <laughs> beings. We are human beings. We were made imperfect. Our minds, literally, they believe our minds have 80 billion neurons in them. Wow. 80 billion. There is no way two human beings can have 80 billion neurons line up perfect. We're going to have faults. We're going to have strengths. Uh, another 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 reason why accepting your humanness and working with it is a big help is because we so strongly want others people's other people's brains to work as ours do. That is an impossibility. No two 80 billion neurons are ever going to line up with all of their beliefs. But we are, as a society, angry that people are not believe you know they're not following our beliefs. They don't understand our political agendas they don't want to see things from our angle but that should be embraced because we're not going to line up perfect and right now in our society our differences are destroying us we yeah. are angry yeah. that people are different we are angry that the, if other people have a political view that is different than ours we are angry that their religion is not our religion but you know what there's room for all of it it all has goodness it all has bad but the one common denominator is human. And yeah. if we can embrace the one, Kayla, that was a wonderful question. If we can embrace being a human being and embrace the fact that everyone else is a human being, we're not just going to mm -hmm. see peace on ourselves. We're going to see peace in our environment, in our community, and it will grow from there. And that's not necessarily uh, a utopic view. Um, I have the more I accept and more I learn about being a human being writing this book in itself was like putting myself through human being college I've studied being a human being my whole life I've observed it I've watched the traumas and, and the difficulties that occur uh, because we're faulted human beings whether it is jealousy or anger or greed or whatever gets us to what creates the mess it's all because we're human. Wow. And that's what I wrote the book about is let's look at the inhuman and let's get more gentle with it. And let's get a little more professional about it. My actual favorite quote is not in the book. My favorite mm -hmm. quote is by George Carlin. And it is. It is. And I'm going to change it slightly because he used a cuss word. Yes. He said, we're all equally messed up. Some of us are just more professional about it than others. That's exactly right. <laughs> We only have about 20 seconds left. Vincent, thank you, Kayla, thank, thank you, you for so this opportunity. Much. Thank uh, you, Kayla. For you're on next week, right? Uh, it's coming up, yes, sir. Yeah, it's coming up the next week or two. Kayla, we love you, and uh, thanks for the question. And we're going to have you on the program in the next week or two. I've already got people waiting in line to ask you questions. But Vincent, I really want to make sure I didn't get through the first couple of chapters to get to talk to you about. Will you please come back? I only want to come back. I'm going to quickly tell you why I will come back. You have an okay. amazing, you have an amazing audience. You have an audience filled with humans that know they are human and want to do better. Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening to your show. And the doctors and nurses and 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 therapists and counselors, all are helping human beings. Yeah, the main most important. And thank you for this opportunity. It has been an honor. Thank you.
Thank you, Vincent. I promise you early in the week, I'll get with you and your calendar and we'll try to get you on the next open slot because I want to talk more. I would love to, to drill a little bit deeper. Thank you, my friend from Austin, Texas. And thank you, Kayla. As I do every week as we close out the show, I always want to just try to, to wrap everything up by saying no matter what you're going through at work, no matter what you're going through in the emergency room very this very evening in life, no matter what you're going through in your relationships, just some of the wisdom that we've been able to pick through tonight and re was revealed to, by our author. I know that he believes this, and I promise you I do. No matter what, there's always hope. As long as there's breath, there's always hope that we can do better. And embrace is an awesome way to end the program. Let's just embrace each other. Forget the differences and embrace. Thank you so much for being with us. Join us next week for another program live from the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. We'll see you next week. God bless. Have an awesome, awesome evening and entire next week. Double awesome week. God bless. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.